Jen, when you said like it's Liz. <laughs> Liz. I answer to any Fine. three letter names. Hi, I'm Liz. I'm Mickey. They're queer. She's not. Welcome to What the Q. On this podcast, we're exploring queer culture together. Why? Because of you, Mickey. Aww. <laughs> <laughs> So this is a long time coming, episode two. <laughs> What's our cadence for every episode? Um, when Liz can get her mic to work? Whenever that happens, we'll release an episode. Technical difficulties have made us behind, but we are in a better place than ever. It was worth the wait. For us, it was worth the wait because our technology is more fine-tuned. Liz and I are finally on the same operating system. Thank you, Tom. Thank you, Liz's husband, Tom, who quite understandably doesn't want to be tech support for this project. <laughs> and, <laughs> so now I can remotely be tech support. I thought he got me on the same operating system as you out of love, but apparently it was out of... I don't want anything to do with this. Yeah. Pure organic frustration. Okay. Which is fine. I, I misread that. Why? Why? <laughs> <laughs> well, you aren't looking at it from my perspective. Right. <laughs> well, well, you're over there on the other side like, of the country. My husband, but... he fixed it. <laughs> <laughs> so the other takeaway is Liz, finally, and if you know Liz's situation in her home is PC exclusive. There are no Apple products in her house. Or allowed. Now. Allowed. I mean, I'm surprised I was allowed to bring my MacBook in when I've stayed with you. <laughs> so I'd be like, you can leave that at the door. Um, but Liz finally has a MacBook and she is like a child on Christmas. So happy. Well, I will say last night when we were fine-tuning the, the final details before we started recording today, Liz confided in me that she felt as though she wanted to take her laptop to bed with her, like she had with a pair of roller skates when you were younger. Yeah. Anyway, we both support Tom and his convictions without any question, but for Liz to have a MacBook, it's a big deal, and it's a huge pleasure for both of us. So... Our technology is completely fine-tuned, and we are ready to do episode two and beyond. We have had our conversation with our next guest ready to go since, like, April. It was a huge conversation. It took forever to edit, and Liz and I have been talking about it these last two weeks that we've been preparing to put this episode out. I think it'll be one of our best, most enlightening episodes, but first... What's new with Liz? I'm doing very well. It's re-recording this in mid-July of 19, and we're on the East Coast experiencing a heat wave. So just trying to stay cool. It's like, it's that fine line between enjoying the summer, but also being careful of the heat. For me, that's just, you know, cold beer <laughs> <laughs> and air conditioning. <laughs> and how are you? I'm good. I'm keeping busy. It's not as hot here in Portland, Oregon, and I'm sober, so I can't drink the beer, but I'll, I've been drinking kombucha. Um, I've been drinking <laughs> a lot of booch, too, because it's also very cold and refreshing. Oh, I have, like, a lime mojito one. I usually don't go for the flavors. 
Oh, it's actually a sparkling probiotic. Is yours pasteurized or raw? I don't know. It's something to look at. I usually just go for original flavor, just plain. But I stumbled across watermelon, and Mm. on a hot day, there's nothing like it. I actually have to watch myself because I try to just drink half a bottle, which would be eight ounces as opposed to 16 ounces. Right, yeah. Um, So I don't drink too much because you really only need a little bit for the tonic benefits. Um, I do. I love kombucha, and it kind of takes the place for beer since I'm not... I never really was a drinker, but I'm not... I don't drink anymore. Um, yeah, I'm good. I, my life has been consumed with getting this next episode out. So I am really happy to be here. Yeah, we made it. (laughs) We made it. But I guess there's no no other really big news going on. But I will say about the episode, when you mentioned that it was a beast to edit, it's because, um, we had our guest in our quote unquote studio for three hours you managed to edit it down to an hour. Yeah. So that was, you know, that was a heavy lift. And thank you for that. My pleasure. We're trying to keep episodes at an hour, but it seems that some conversations are going to be impossible to do that. The good news is that when you listen to this conversation that's coming up, it is so filled with goodness that the time will just pass by. Our guest on this episode is my good friend, Katie, who is a collaborator of mine. So we recorded KT on April 27th, and here we are mid-July, so you can kind of see how things are a little stretched out in our podcast universe. As I said earlier, we've had lots of time to listen to this, edit it, re-edit it, And Liz and I talk about the things that we discussed in this conversation. And I'm super excited for you all to hear our conversation with KT. Um, Again, she's a good friend of mine. We make fat art together. I've known her since the aughts. We've been performing adjacently in drag troops and my drag band. And I think KT came up to me when I was doing sound for my good friend Pepper after one show and was like, you should come dance with me. And it wasn't something that was at the top of my head, but I was like, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. And I did. And uh, I'm really glad that I got to be a part of her project. But yeah, we are about to listen to KT. Do you have anything to say before we go into it? Everyone enjoy. Here's KT. Hi, KT. Welcome to What the Q. Hi. Thanks for having me. Katie, I want to start out by saying I'm so excited to have you on the show. You want to, you're gonna, I know that you're just going to be one of my favorite guests. <laughs> but let's start out with you identify as queer. What does the queer identity mean to you? Yeah, it means so many things. It means a lot more than uh, just sexual orientation, whereas I think a lot of times for some people, queer can just be this umbrella term of... I could be lesbian or gay or trans or bisexual or intersexed or asexual, though there's a long list, but I actually identify as queer as slightly different than all of those things as a identity that encompasses and empower a a lot of different aspects of my identity and then um, empowers me to feel really free in my identity. So it feels like a very non-constraining, liberating identity that allows my gender to show up 
in ways that can fluctuate in a day, in a month, in a year, over a lifetime. Uh, it so it affects my gender. It, it it's also about um, uh, intimate relationships and sexual partners and how I relate to people of different genders and not closing in on I'm bisexual, which would indicate there are two genders that I could have sexual relationships with and also making it all about sexuality anyway. So I feel like queer really is this empowering term that encompasses so many parts of who I am without having to put a lot of constraints on that. And I also feel like it's really political. Like it's it's gender, it's sexual orientation, and it's like a political identity as well. Mm -hmm. It sounds like the queer identity gives you more movement. Yes. In what, where you are, what you want to do without having labels on it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, I can definitely appreciate that. I've known people that are, for the most part, just straight Mm -hmm. that take on the queer identity. I actually got called out recently. Somebody asked me, oh, is that person queer? And I said, oh, no, she's partnered with a man. And they're like, so, I, that doesn't answer my question. Is mm -hmm. she queer? And I was like, right. Yeah. I don't know. I, sh I can ask her that directly. Isn't it beautiful, <laughs> though, that you can get called out and be like, wow, okay. Yeah. We all make mistakes. Yeah, it was great. Um, we, on, on another show that I record, we asked, well, the host asked one of the guests if they were queer, and it did boil down to them having had same-sex experiences. And I, as the producer, editor, was like, she didn't answer the question. <laughs> right. Know, she made it about sexuality, and that that's not really the thing. But we're all here to learn. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So... I, we make fat art together. There's yes. no secret about that. Instagram knows about it. <laughs> Social media knows about it. Can you tell us some ways that you feel that the fat identity and queerness kind of hold hands? Oh my gosh. it's They're so interrelated for me. I feel like maybe I need to say what I think queerness, more about what I think queerness is. So one of the things I think about with queerness is um, the political part of queerness goes beyond gender or sexual orientation has to do with how I relate to my body and how I relate to my community. And that is also a way fatness shows up in my life. So um, in both identities, both in queerness and in fatness, I'm not sitting in a place of conforming body norms and conforming societal roles norms. And in both cases, that feels, for me, actually very freeing. Like when I said about queerness actually feels really liberating to me. I also feel that way about fatness. Now, I, I feel that like what I've gotten from you so far is that you use your queerness not only to be freeing with your gender and sexual identification, but also how you take up space in society and that without fitting into what we're calling the norm to... To be okay with that and say, like, I'm going to take up the space. It may not be what you like. And that's not comfortable in our society. That's not mm -hmm. normal in our society. There's so much pressure to look and act a certain way. And when you said that part of you identifying yourself as queer has to do with your body size, being fat is freeing. I was, like, jealous when you said that. I'm like, mm -hmm. I would love to feel free from my body image. And in this society, no matter what you look like, even if you fit in, that's a nearly impossible feeling to have. Mm -hmm. So I, I think it's a, it's a beautiful thing. 
Liz, when you were talking about, um, oh, I would love to be free from that pressure. I think a lot about like how in any size body, we as a society have decided that we're going to create this pressure to conform and to uh, judge ourselves and quite honestly to spend a lot of money on trying to reach ideals and norms. And I think it's the the idea of capitalism falls really heavily here where mm -hmm. we're like, how much money are we going to spend to attain something that actually isn't attainable right. for really almost anybody? And there's something about sitting further back from that norm and realizing realizing that that norm actually probably isn't attainable that kind of for me has made me be able to release the efforts to try and attain that norm so if i was two steps away from that norm i might put a massive amount of effort into always trying to get to that norm and i might spend a f can i curse yeah okay i might spend a fuck ton of money trying to get to that norm and i might spend all of my efforts trying to get to that norm but if i am a hundred paces away from it it's like well i can't reach that ever so do i want to put all that energy and effort into getting two steps closer to it but i'm still 98 steps away from it or do i want to put that elsewhere and i'm not saying everyone has the same experience i think there's a lot of people in fat bodies who are still putting all of that money and effort into taking those two steps and they're in their own process and i'm not here to judge that but i feel really lucky i've been sort of able to take that and use it as a perspective to say fuck capitalism and fuck these ideas about getting to that norm of looking a certain way and it's not available to me also that's part of being in my 40s because i think i fought a lot harder for it in my 20s um and i feel that way about queerness too it's like i get to be so many paces away from that norm in the middle it, there's a certain freedom in it mm -hmm. like if i release myself of trying to be a part of that and really maybe even decide i never wanted it anyway and quite honestly when i was young that was a protective factor like when i was a teenager in the midwest and i had literally never met a gay lesbian queer i didn't even know what trans meant i kept asking people what's the t on here you know like it was so not available to me the internet was barely a thing I didn't have access, I didn't have role models, and my survival strategy was rebelling and rejecting. Like, I could rebel as hard as I wanted um, and, and, and sort of preemptively make sure that normative culture knew I never wanted to be a part of them anyway. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a, it was a pretty severe reaction. It's kind of a black and white reaction that I've had to try and unlearn in my adult years. But that was a coping strategy for saying, fuck you, I didn't want to be a part of you anyway. And I'm going to distance myself from that on purpose. And that in some ways has served both in my queerness and in my fatness to say, to be really liberating. Mm. But there's something I want to say that's like this double edge of like, yes, it's really liberating, but that's like all, that takes a massive amount of internal work. It's an exhausting so amount of internal work. It's like how many self-help books have I read? How many amazing community members help me reinforce this narrative? Like how many podcasts have I listened to? Um, mm -hmm. A lot, a lot yeah. is the answer. Um, in order <laughs> to actually be okay. So it's not like this natural thing that just comes to like, I'm fat and so I don't care. I'm fat and free. I'm queer. So I never wanted to be normal anyway. I'm queer and free. Like it's actually a huge amount of work to get there. 
But I also feel like the queerness and the fatness are the key and the leverage to helping me get there that I may have never sought it out Mm. to Mm -hmm. release those goals of normativity if I didn't have these identities as like a key to help me move in that direction. I'm going to follow up with Liz Envy of you being so comfortable in your body. And I felt it so many times when I've heard you stand up for yourself at work, ask for the (laughs) comfortable chair, um, be an advocate for people that come to our shows and sit in our audiences. I struggle. Yes, I'm body positive. Yes, I have traveled the world to be an example of a fat person in a tight dress and saying it's okay. I'm not doing this because this is how I am right now. I'm doing this because this is how I am. Mm -hmm. I'm fat. But inside of myself, this body positivity did not armor me from being hurt. I was visiting Liz and a couple of acquaintances of her kind of pulled me aside and started to lecture me about how I wasn't going to live very long because of my body size. And I won't get into that. But um, Liz and I talked about it. And I think you said to them... Mickey's very body positive. I can't see them being affected by it. But then I realized, yes, I am body positive, but I was affected by that. Oh, yeah. When somebody steals my narrative right in front of me, consequently, while they're smoking cigarettes and drunk off their ass. (laughs) Okay. And I'm like, have you read the World Health Report on alcohol? And I don't feel that I have any more agency to tell you that smoking is going to kill you than you tell me that you think fatness is going to kill me because we there's a good chance we're both wrong. That was a situation where this I I still think about that day Um, that I think about it all the time. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, that person had you know, been to the gym 10 times and lost eight pounds and suddenly they're the know-all guru of weight. Do you know what I mean? It was one of those Mm -hmm. situations which are like the most annoying situation. Which is a capitalist situation because I felt like, are you giving me this information because you read a peer-reviewed journal or because you have an expensive gym membership? Because there's a difference. One is capitalism telling you that you're better when you do this and Mm -hmm. therefore you keep paying for it. And the other one is facts. Mm-hmm. And there was no fact-based no. anything, but pure, uh, even if there was, eh, it was so still not okay. Still not okay. Um, there's so many layers there. There's tons of layers, and we've been. I mean, I'm sure. I don't know if you've been in a situation before where someone's volunteered health advice. To oh my you. god, yes. And by the way, I'm a nurse. <laughs> I think it's great to have people like Katie in the healthcare system because you're you're thinking about mm-hmm. these important things. We're going to we're going to alienate people from their health if we just make it about their mm-hmm. fatness. Well, and so there's so many layers here. Like we think that health is only identified as these things that we can see like what is what are your diagnoses um what are your ailments what medications do you take what are physical abilities but we don't actually look at it's like that's the tip of the iceberg there's actually an image um i've been seeing go around on social media that shows like what actually exists under that and it's like social relationships history of trauma um you know all of these mental emotional health spirituality um there's just so much actually goes into a picture of health. So that's, and like creating shame is never good for anybody's health. So if you're actually interested in improving somebody's health, like clearly shaming them is not the way. And also 
There's a lot of peer-reviewed articles out there saying that fatness is not the terror on our health that we act like it is. And there's whole movements. There's the health at every size movement. Um, there are a lot of doctors and nutritionists and research going into this. And yet we're still relying on this antiquated medical information that BMI is the end all of uh, of the indications of our health. So that part's also not true. So like there's all these layers of going and that someone thinks that like if they walk up to you in a social situation and say, "Hey, I'm going to like concern troll you." So A, they're wrong. But like <laughs> B, even if they're right, even if science were not a thing, even if health research was not a thing, let's just pretend for a hot second they were even right. How would concern trolling you in a shaming way in a social situation without a, you know, a bedrock of a relationship actually be helpful to you? Which I don't. I'm sorry, I don't know this person, and I'm sorry that they're your friend, Liz. But like, you can say whatever you want about. Them. I haven't. I haven't spoken to them since then. Oh wow. But I just, uh, there, there's no way that that person actually genuinely had your best interest in mind they, in that moment. I really no. think no it was about them. Yeah. We just lost all this weight together. And That's right. we want to show you how important we are now. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. of it. And I'm like, I, and it's, I, I mean, I did my 10 day silent meditation. That was heavy on my mind. Mm-hmm. It crosses my mind now because I'm realizing, yeah, I am comfortable in my body. But yes, I feel like an other when I'm walking down the street. Oh, yeah. And when I'm sweating or mm-hmm. my stomach sticking out. Mm-hmm. And um, and especially, I mean, we all have our own journey. We all have a, a journey with our bodies. Sometimes we feel better than other Absolutely. times. And it's not about fatness. It's about just how we feel. Yeah. Um, I My new thing right now is posturing. Hmm. I stand up tall and I show people how proud I am of myself. And I force myself to forget what I think other people are thinking about me, what I project that they might be thinking about me because um, because of people like you, because of people like in our Weighted Bodies dance troupe that are such a good example for me. I look at these fat people and think they couldn't be more beautiful. Mm. And, and I think we all do this. Why can't I see that in myself? Right. Why can't yes. I look in the mirror and say, I am that beautiful? I mean... It's we. I've thought about it my whole life. I've watched people in the mall, and I'm like, that person clearly is as fat as me or otherwise. And I, there's, I feel that there's nothing wrong with them. Mm-hmm. They have every right to be there. I would back them up 100 percent of the way for their right to be there. But when it comes to myself, I feel like I don't. Mm-hmm. And um, and that's just me being honest. So I posture now. Mm-hmm. And I figure, you know what they say, fake it till you make it. Mm-hmm. I am determined to be the best example that I can be. And that is because I have such good examples in my life. Oh, that's great. You, again, and so many of the wonderful people that we work with. Um, when I when I don't need therapy right now because weighted bodies is that for me, Liz. <laughs> <laughs> when I leave dance class, I'm like, yeah, it's all good. Yeah. 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 <laughs> that's a great and outlet it- to have. When I hear you say, like, you're, right now your strategy is doing this posturing, it reminds me, it goes back to that idea of, like, it actually still is a massive amount of work. It's, like, a huge amount of internal emotional work to just try and be okay. Mm-hmm. And so while I feel liberated by being fat and having this fat community and, like, I feel like I don't have to achieve normativity, it's, 
it's this massive amount of work and every day is not okay. I'm not just this fully liberated, like, I feel great. What's wrong with you that you don't already feel great? Oh my God. No, I mean, yeah, I also have a lot of days that I, and I don't even know if a full day goes by. They don't have some struggle with my body. Right. You know? And, and as Liz was saying earlier, I, it's true for 99.9% of us. Yeah. Yeah. No matter what In your BMI, size. I'm doing the quote things with my finger. Right. No matter what this supposed BMI is for you. Um, the BMI, the number on the scale, the way your clothes fit, you know, the way you perceive how other people look at you, the how you've compared yourself um, to magazines. Um, mm-hmm. It it's just a never it's television. It doesn't it doesn't stop. The influences never stop. Or just the conversations at the lunch table at work. It it doesn't stop. Those are the worst. They're the worst. So, so in a capitalist way, we think that we're trying, we're trying to say that thinness is best and then they're trying to sell it to us. Yeah. And then we're also, thinness is best. We're going to sell it to you. It's a consumable product, but actually you'll never achieve it. So you're going to have to keep it. Because that's not how capitalism works. Capitalism is about maintenance. Yeah. We can't actually achieve it because then we'll stop spending money. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so many times people are saying, I'm going to go back on this and back on that. And that's exactly the model that that company has created. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Or yeah. and cheat days. And, oh, I was just bad because you ate a piece of cheesecake. Oh, right. The morality around all of this. And I mean, that goes into like we talk about it in such a moral way. And it's those lunchroom conversations at work mm-hmm. that I'm constantly listening to <laughs> from a lot mm-hmm. of well-meaning white women um, <laughs> is about <laughs> is about like, oh, I'm so bad. And what is that? Why is it immoral? to eat a food that we think is unhealthy. And really, why would it be immoral to be unhealthy? Like, when we talk about these conversations about is being fat, healthy, unhealthy, whatever, like whatever decision we make in the end, which I think science is proving that fat is not inherently unhealthy, but whatever decision we make in the end is, there's no moral obligation to be healthy. I personally have chosen to to work hard on my health and aim to be physically healthy. And I can tell if I don't feel physically healthy, Mm -hmm. I kind of check in with my body. What does it need? And what do I, you know, what do I need to do for myself? But I, there's a lot of people for whom health actually isn't available. Like they have chronic diseases, they have certain issues that are going to, and I don't want to tell those people that like you don't have value and you deserve to feel shameful and unvaluable in this world because you actually can't attain health or you've got other other priorities in your life and like health okay maybe technically you could attain it but it's just like not the priority because there's so much else going on in your life that you actually need to tend to working mothering um caring for your parents caring for your mental health dealing with your past traumas like whatever there's a million reasons that you might be very legitimately distracted from working out at the gym and making sure you eat enough vegetables. Like maybe actually the right thing for you that day is to get fast food because you have other priorities that are really important that day that what's more important, making a salad or actually getting your kids picked up from daycare. I don't know why I'm focusing on the parenting thing. I'm not a parent. I just like feel like well, parents one deserve example, a nod. But we, it's, a, it's one example, but really we've already established that your social relationships are part of your health. Yes. And when you're yes. taking care of your friendships and your family and your community, you are actually taking care of your health. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know if this, I'm going to try to say this because I, I don't have it clear in my head, but when we 
point out that fatness is the biggest cause of not having good health, how do we alienate straight-sized people from their health who also get diabetes, mm. who also have heart disease, who point. also... I just see it in the community at large. If a kid is of normal weight, they're healthy. Mm -hmm. And no one considers what they're eating, how much exercise they're getting, um, the quality of their food, or even more so, the quality of their relationships. Do they have friendships? They don't think that because the weight is the primary thing that they look at. And it's the fat kid fighting childhood obesity. Don't get me started. Oh my God. Do not get me started. I would love to get you started. I want to get started. <laughs> that was, to me, the most awful campaign from a person that mm -hmm. I happened to like, but was so poorly chosen to say childhood obesity instead of just nutrition mm -hmm. or health mm -hmm. for everyone. So... There's a perfect example. The thin kids aren't having health issues. Right. Yeah, they they are just as much as the fat kids. Really, I guess what I'm getting to is when we focus on fatness as being the primary metric in health, how much do we alienate straight-sized people? Yeah, what are they missing? What are they what care are they not getting cuz their health issues are going to get missed? Is this a good time to segue into the fat art that you make, Weighted Bodies? Talk sure. a little bit about that. So um, the teeny tiny bit of background with Weighted Bodies before I dig right into it is that I had started teaching dance classes specifically for people in fat bodies because I was wanting to dance and feeling like that was very inaccessible um, and getting really sick of just trying to show up to a regular dance class and feel okay there. It's just a huge amount of emotional effort to try and feel okay. So I created these dance classes and that's been really amazing and bringing community together and creating opportunities to, um, to move and connect with our bodies and honor our bodies and friendships have formed. And it, it's like one more space where we get together and get to feel okay. Um, and that combats this whole, all these constant messages coming in at us that tell us we're not okay. So that's sort of the history of how Body Home, which is my dance classes, got started three years ago. But about a year and a half ago, we started um, Weighted Bodies, which is specifically performance. And what we've been doing in there is instead of just saying, hmm, I can dance even though I'm fat, we're saying, actually, I want to figure out what my body specifically does because of its shape and what my abilities are and and not just how can I take this and fit it into um, sort of more typical traditional contemporary dance performance art, but how can I actually, you, you know, in which case I might try and suck in my belly and create these long lines and balance and be delicate and I kind of suck at that. <laughs> And so instead of pretending like, maybe I'm okay, it was like, what can I actually do with my body? What does it do that's unique? What do I do with this belly? Does this belly shake and jiggle? Is that interesting? How can I push my fingertips into it and create divots? And what about the light that shoots across my body and creating shadows where those divots for my fingers pressing in and kneading my belly? What if I jiggle my arm fat? What if um, I use the momentum that my mass creates uh, to propel my movement? Um, what if I... Uh, jump and yes sure my my frame arrives in space but the mass of my body takes a little while to jiggle into place and settle down and I think that's actually really interesting and these are things that people are actually 
actively avoiding in most cases, but what if we actually embrace it and bring it in and harvest it? And it's been an incredible group of people. It's fluctuated who's been involved. I think in all there's been about 12, I think 12 different people have been in the cast at different times um, and have been so generous and so willing to show up and deeply discover with me. So it's not just me discovering in my body what's possible in this body that I inhabit, but everybody coming in and discovering what does my body do and showing it to each other and finding sometimes we're different. Like, oh, oh, I think of this one dancer who has this amazing belly and she can lay on the floor and squish it, squish her belly between her hand and the floor and create these amazing shapes that my belly actually doesn't do. And getting have a moment of being like oh my god I'm so jealous of your amazing belly Mm -hmm. and this thing you can do with it was a really spectacular moment um, in which I realized I was deeply finding value and love for that body part that in so many other contexts would be um, something to mask and hide and apologize for and wish away and it's actually vastly changed my relationship to my body. Like I thought I'd made so much progress in my relationship to my body, but this past year and a half of doing this exploration has actually changed it. Cause instead of being like, I'm okay. Yeah. I'm good enough. I can, I can handle this. It's been like, Oh my God, I love what my belly can do. I love what my, what my fat arms can do. And, and if I wasn't fat, I wouldn't actually be able to do this. Mm. And, um, that has been a really, fascinating therapeutic experience that discovery together you referred to it as interesting the exploration of the body when you were explaining it it's interesting to be able to throw that back at the audience and say Mm. this is what we're striving for and i was present with you when we were making these discoveries because it was a lot of workshopping at first Mm -hmm. but in watching our fellow dancers make these beautiful body forms and these beautiful movements that's the word. It went from interesting to beautiful mm, to yeah. to uh, provoking some jealousy and envy in some of us because there are things, I mean, I can't do, especially with the leg mm-hmm. work, I don't get as much jiggle as everyone else. Mm-hmm. And so I felt like I'm not holding up my hand <laughs> because I don't have as much jiggle um, on my thigh, but I have, we know where my jiggle is. It's... <laughs> right here mama um i mean i found my jiggle but as when we were working as a team it was like this is not my strong area and i am so proud of my fellow dancers that this is their strong area Mm -hmm. and that they get to take the lead on this and we get to tell the audience we're showing you this because it's beautiful that's something you and i have talked a lot about is who's comfortable who's uncomfortable audience versus performers in so many cases those of us in fat bodies would be uncomfortable. I mean, we're wearing very little on stage. So, you know, exposing our bodies, letting our flesh jiggle would normally be something to feel apologetic for. And sometimes we get told we're very brave, which we most of us find pretty condescending. <laughs> like, you're so brave because if I looked like you, <laughs> and I get that it's well-intentioned. I do. But we're just like, oh, you yeah. you meant nice. I think you meant that you would have been brave to do this because we're just doing it. So we talked a lot about how we 
actually because of our process of having time to really explore these movements and own them and create them together as a cast, we felt really proud of them and really excited to show people. And so if there was discomfort in the room, that got to be the discomfort for the audience to be like, what, whatever they sat with, with like, should I be able to see this? I've never seen this before. Is this too intimate? Or I'm judging it or whatever, or, or I'm judging myself or whatever emotions come up for them in that moment. Like they get to have that. And it felt really empowering to be like, cause I'm not to, as on the stage being like, I'm not uncomfortable. So if there's any, it was like very intentionally, if there's going to be any discomfort in the room, it is for the audience to right. grapple with internally. I tend not to be uncomfortable in front of an audience. And if I can make them uncomfortable, it's gravy. <laughs> That's crazy. I actually really like to make uh, the audience feel because it's challenging for me to do that. And when I do it, I think that's an accomplishment. I've like, seen you really come alive in front of the audience. It's the audience. Like you've already been amazing in rehearsal and the audience shows up and it's like, whoa, Mickey just I really feel, showed see, up. See, for in me, the room. I feel like I come up short at every single rehearsal, but it's kind of like when, this, when, when it's go time, I'm going to be there. So, what is the difference between body positivity and fat liberation? I'm so glad you asked. I don't get to be the end all be all of the definitions of these things because we as a too bad too late. <laughs> <laughs> but we as a community own them and we as a community define them and they're constantly changing but like I think of body positivity as something that has now been co-opted by skinny white women on yoga cover ma ma the cover of yoga magazines. So um and I wish that weren't so. Like um I think body positivity started out really emp about empowering people to, um, it, it was a term that we used about empowering ourselves to connect with our bodies and love our bodies or at least be okay with our bodies. And notably the word positivity is in there because there was also this notion that we had to feel positive and that that was the ultimate goal. Whereas I think changing it to fat liberation does two things. One, it means that the non-fat community doesn't get, just get to co-op this out from under us because it says fat. And so if you're <laughs> going to relate to it, you got to also identify as fat, but also liberation instead of positivity is like, well, then let's actually talk about what liberation looks like. Liberation does not necessarily look like I love myself I'm gonna do these mantras and read self-help books and I'm gonna only love myself because that to be honest is a is gonna gaslight most of your true experience that is gonna range and if you feel obligated to only love yourself at all times like that's really limiting liberation could look like I'm just trying to be okay with myself and and liberation uh, could look like um, body sovereignty, which is a term that I've heard Shiloh George use a lot. She's um, a local art author, activist, consultant who um, has a book coming out um, who she talks about body sovereignty being like you own your the right to do with your body what you want. And um, she's in a very fat body and um, she's not actually saying anybody has to do it the way she's doing it um, but she wants people to have access to a way you know to to do what they want with their body um, and I think of, of liberation also being about we're not this is just to me this is the key is we're not just having an internal individual experience about body love or self-love that's nice and that's an important part but liberation is more liberation involves worlds outside of our own self liberation means 
I can love myself all day long, but I, that doesn't mean that I don't still have oppressive systems affecting me. So liberation is we need to make some actual change in the world and in our community and in ourselves. It needs to happen at all these levels because we actually need to undo oppression in addition to working on our own internal experiences of how we're relating to ourselves. I want to stand up and clap right now. (laughs) (laughs) That was wonderful. Like I'm like familiar with the body positive movement or BOPO as it's been broken down to (laughs) and the the hashtag and the fitness industry um, gobbled it up and turned it into a fitness word. And it's like, how, wait, what? So yeah, they stole it. Just hearing you explain the difference that, that was like, to me, like how I learned something new, every podcast, like that to me was like, I'm so glad I heard those words in that order. Uh, maybe I've heard the words fat liberation, but I've certainly never heard it defined. And I love how it's one of those things where it's like, okay, we're going to use these words now and, you know, try to steal that. That, like, empowered me. That was kind of a little bit of what I was starting to learn when I'd been confronted by people that thought they knew better for my health. Yeah. And I was like, this is not about my body positivity. This is about my my right to take up space. Mm-hmm. My when- right to be here no matter what. I like having the word fat in there, too, because I'm sitting here listening to both of you respond... And I'm thinking, gosh, I wonder if we should have body liberation instead of fat liberation so that it actually, we could bring other people along with us. And there could be an argument for that. But the thing I like about, I I really like using the word fat. And I know that that's loaded. It's one of those reclaiming a word that has historically been used against us. And so it's really complicated. Much like the word queer. Much like that. Yeah. So I get that that's complicated, and I, I don't need everyone to use, to be comfortable using the word fat to you describe themselves. You don't have themselves. to identify as fat. But I'm going to use fat to describe <laughs> myself. And I think that it's also really helpful to identify what fat is and what fat isn't. Can I do that real quick? I would love it if you did. Okay. Um, again, I'm going to preface by saying I do not have the ultimate end-all definition. I think it can change, but I'm going to refer to some... Uh, things other people in our community have used to describe what fat is and what fat isn't. Fat is not a feeling. It's not, oh, I feel so fat because I ate so much. Fat is not, I'm having a fat day. That is not fat. Shut the fuck up. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) It's actually really fucking rude to say that in front of a fat person, by the way. Fat is also not I'm sorry, but people who wear straight sizes, which by the way, straight sizes means you can shop in most stores. You're like a size in women's size, like maybe up to a 14 or maybe a 16, but really probably cuts off about 14. So if you can shop in straight sizes, even if you're at the upper end of that, I'm not trying to police who gets to say they're fat and who's not. I'm really not, but I'm trying to give some general guidelines. Like you may have some other experiences that you're like, yeah, I know I'm only a 12, but I'm fat and here's why. And then I will totally support that. But generally, like if you can shop straight sizes and you just kind of feel fat because you're comparing yourself to that unattainable ideal, that is not fat. Fat is about people who are actually experiencing oppression. Fat is about, I actually can't find clothes at most stores. I'm limited to just this one store in the mall and I hate everything. Mostly shopping online. Yep. (laughs) And and like uh, paying what we call the fat tax because that's real. Like literally paying more for your clothes. 
And it's it's uh, not knowing if you're going to fit in the seat at the restaurant. It's not knowing if you're going to fit in the seat on the airplane. Or you know you're going to fit in the seat, but you know the person next to you is going to be real pissed about sitting next to you. Um, it's about, like... Um, knowing that the world is not really made to fit your body that you, I mean, chairs are such a big thing that we talk about at work. I, we have this one conference room. No, we have two conference rooms at my work that have the, my body fits in them technically, but it's really uncomfortable. Like the arms really dig into my thigh. I just don't like it. And so I will be like, I'm gonna go get a chair that fits my body. Does anybody else want a chair that fits their body? I have to go down a floor to the second floor to get a chair for myself. So if anyone else would like me to get a chair for them that fits their body while I'm down there, I'll get you a chair that fits your body. Anybody? Anybody? And I'm not even the fattest person in the room, so I'm like trying to... Um, but I'm probably like making the people who are fat and feeling really uncomfortable even more uncomfortable when I do that. I should think about that. But anyway, <laughs> I, um, I think it's about having to do the extra work to navigate a world that's just really not built for your body. It means knowing that like your body is going to be judged. It means like I um, and some of these experiences I have and some of them I don't like um, I'm on like I'm in what we would call medium fat territory which some people say is roughly like if we're in women's clothing sizes, like a size probably like 18 to 22 or somewhere around there is like a medium fat, uh, maybe 16 to 22. You're like, okay, I can still find clothes in some stores, but not most stores. I can still fit in most furniture. I'm not totally street harassed every day, but just occasionally street harassed for my body size. But like, then if you get big, you know, like the fatter you get, the more oppression you experience, the more you're like, actually not only, you know, Katie gets to sit in that chair and feel uncomfortable because it pinches her thighs, but I simply cannot fit in it. And I have no choice but to advocate for myself for getting another chair or try and pretend I just wanted to stand for the whole meeting. You know, it's people who don't fit in, what is, I think Lane Bryant now goes up to like a 32, but they used to only go to like a 28. And um, so there was like a cutoff there, like, oh, if you can't even fit in Lane Bryant sizes, then like, where the fuck are you supposed to get clothes? Like, so people like me are like complaining that we only have Lane Bryant and Tord at the mall. But all of this is to define like, what is fat? And so I just want to say like, I also do think there's a hierarchy and I'm fine with that um, because there's different types of fat. There's like small fats, medium fats, uh, a language people use a lot is then um, once you get past medium fat, you get to uh, super fat and then this is my new favorite, InfiniFat. And, uh, you know, there's some like wiggle room on how we define what each of those levels is. But it's like the bigger you get, the more oppression you're going to experience. Um, what is it at Fat Fancy? Do they still have fun size? Oh, Which yeah, is their like, largest size is fun size. Yeah. Which is the opposite of a little bag of fucking <laughs> M&M's of peanuts. <laughs> really, fatness needs its representation inside queerness. So I feel like everything we sp spoke about so far really embraces the, the queer identity. Yeah, I mean, I really feel like queerness and fatness overlap a lot in my life. And I don't, I mean, I'm speaking about my experience, but I think that's also experience of a lot of other people. My experience of being queer uh, has sort of given me permission to exist outside of that normative, binary, that I feel that, and, and, and fatness is similar. It's So queerness was a nice segue into the fat liberation mindset. I was actually introduced to fat liberation very specifically in a queer space because it was... Um, 
I started performing with a drag troupe, DKPDX, back in the early, do we call them the 2000 aughts? The aughts. The aughts. The aughts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. We were kind of a radical group. We were like not doing drag kinging in this like super uh, d- demeaning way that is like performing all the toxic parts of masculinity on stage, like using femmes as props and like hyper sexualizing and like domineering kind of parts of masculinity. We were like, no, like what is it about masculinity that we're trying to perform? And we would be like political and, um, and we would really fuck with gender and uh, it was actually through performing masculinity on stage that I started discovering that I really liked performing femininity off the stage and kind of had permission to play both extremes. Like, so I'd sort of perform hyper femininity off the stage and more hyper masculinity on the stage. And it was all performative. And like, I remember looking around and realizing that maybe three quarters of the drag troupe was fat. Mm-hmm. And how did that affect our gender? And how did that affect like when we were trying to portray another gender? Like, if you're fat, then you may, in like a assigned female at birth body, you may have more fat in your chest and in your hips, which might make it more difficult for you to quote unquote pass as male. You're like, how much can I bind my fat down and make it a sausage so that um, I look like I'm in a more masculine shape and I can't really do it that well. And so sometimes we'd actually be like, well, why are we trying so hard? It's actually really physically uncomfortable and it's not working that well. So maybe instead of actually binding my breasts, I'll just wear a sports bra and call it good. And I'll just have breasts on stage while still perform masculinity and it'll be great. And then, so then we started really queering the genders on stage. And of course this was a process. We were all in our twenties and we were all like discovering our own identities. And it just was so intertwined, this experience of exploring our genders and genders performance and the shapes of our bodies and our fatness. And that was honestly the first time I um, was really in a community of fat people learning to connect with my body and getting to connect with my gender and my queerness all at the same time. Thanks, DKPDX. Liz, after listening to us, talk about our fatness i mean this is definitely not an alien subject between the two of us Correct. um uh but i definitely am the one that identifies as fat in the relationship what are things that you think that you can do to support your fat friends and in the community i try not to feed or glom on to the negative talk so when we refer to those lunchroom conversations i don't say oh my god i know what you mean even if I do, <laughs> even if I am like, <laughs> like, like if someone, like if someone's sitting next to you and say, I'm going to be bad and have the cheesecake. Right. I won't say, oh my God, I'm going to be bad too. Like I do not parrot or repeat. I try not to, let me say that. I try not to parrot or repeat those words. If someone's saying like, I feel so fat, I look so fat, or I'm going to be bad, or I'm going to cheat. I don't necessarily try to teach them to change their language, but I do not add on to their same language. I was a ballerina growing up, and um, that's a special kind of skinny um, that... Oh, yeah. (laughs) That's Katie's background, too. Yeah, that's a special kind of skinny. That does a certain amount of damage to us, to anybody who goes through that, Um, of any size. uh, Yeah, Uh, so I will never 
come close to having a body like that ever again, nor should should I. <laughs> I mean, there's no reason to. The parts of my bodies that were picked on the most as a dancer are the po- parts of my bodies that I hate the most to this day. And I often wonder um, if I was never told that I had too much fat in my stomach, would I hate my stomach today? And I don't know the answer. Mm-hmm. After not dancing and then becoming a non-dancer's body, if you will, I did the yoga and the Pilates to try to maintain some sort of feeling or um, body type that still maybe fit into a certain mold. Then one day I found the weight room. (laughs) And like that was the biggest mental change in my life. And that happened when I was 38 years old. And I trained in weightlifting. And again, with this bow post stuff, like if you lift weights, you're going to get bigger. So I hate how they say like, um, don't be afraid to lift weights. You're not going to get any bigger. It's like, yeah, yeah, I went up a size in clothing because I could lift 300 pounds. Like, I don't know how I was supposed to get smaller and do that. Uh, But anyway, but in that process, um, I became so much more accepting of who I am because the strength of my body translated to the strength of my um, emotion and mentality around it. It's still within the fitness world, within the weightlifting world, there's still a lot of confusion around what a body should look like, shouldn't look like. Go back to what should a woman look like? Where should she hold her fat? You look at, I'll use CrossFit as an example, you look at these women and um, a lot of men or women A lot of people in society will say, why does she want to look like that? Without even realizing like what it even takes to look like that. The dedication and the focus and the discipline to come out of that training, not looking to what our society considers feminine. Um, You know, it's there's so much to it. Well, in this stage, currently right now today, I'm more comfortable with other people's journeys than I am with my own. (laughs) (laughs) like I'm super supportive of everyone else I relate to that I feel like it's through learning about other people's journeys that it helps me with my journey and I have a love-hate relationship with social media but that's one of the parts I love about it (laughs) if I can see enough other people who look like me or have had relatable experiences or they're you know I can just see what someone else's journey looks like and be like I relate to this but not that it's like all of that helps me own my own journey but yeah mine my own is way less comfortable I would love to just sit here and talk about like oh let me talk about these amazing people on Instagram and their stories (laughs) that would be less emotional we can say that your fat friend is an amazing person oh my god I have that written in my notebook I love your fat friend your fat friend is my new favorite fat friend your fat friend is amazing because is that an Instagram and she's a not Yeah, she's got a blog and an Instagram. She's a writer. Um, She is anonymous because so many people who are fat liberation activists have just like way too much violence and death threats and trolling and horrible, scary things happening to them. So she made a very conscious decision to always be anonymous. And she specifically talks about that topic we were talking about of... um, uh, she'll say, I'm not here to talk about self-love. There are plenty of Instagram accounts out there talking about how you can love your own body. Great. Go check those out. They're wonderful. But what I'm here to talk about is the oppression that society 
is putting on fat people and undoing those systems of oppression and naming what they are and calling them out. So that's what she writes about. Katie asked literally if you have any questions for her, Liz. How were you able to bring yourself back into dance and movement? I know you said that you first tried to conform into groups that were more normative when it came to like body types. How did you get past that? Because just having maybe the background that you have, I don't know how else to say it, but how did you get past that? Yeah, so I didn't dance for about 15 years and I like still mourn that. I feel like that was a lot of lost time. That's really sad. And I, and it wasn't for lack of trying during that time. So from about 20, when it was like clear, I was never going to be a professional dancer. And then the opportunities just sort of fall away. What do you, I mean, how are you going to dance if you're not on this professional track? Um, I kept trying to dance through my 20s and my early 30s, and I would try a class here and there, and it just never went well. And I kind of had given it up. I'd given up the, I'd given up trying. I just accepted that was something in my past. And um, for three years, I did martial arts because I thought maybe that could be some sort of substitute, like there could be levels of achievement and some sort of structure and community. And I did well at it because I was physically capable, but I, I just never. It never was what I had wanted to get from it, and I really burn out on it because it had sort of a little bit of that CrossFit mentality of like, I'm a, you know, like, I'm just going to push my body beyond my perceived limitations was like something I heard six times Mm. every training session. And I was just really sick of it. Um, And so I dropped out of martial arts after three years, and I just sat there being like, well, what am I going to do? I want to move my body. And so I just started dabbling in dance classes. And by this point I was mid thirties. And so I had a little less self-consciousness, but I still really struggled to find a dance class because honestly it would be like me and a bunch of 17 year olds. And I was like, God, I could almost be your mom. (laughs) Um, and I tried a bunch of different, I, I did manage to find some classes around town that were a little more like adult dance classes and, um, you know, one in particular, you could just tell it was a contemporary dance class that was clearly people who like used to be dancers in their youth were now adults. And they had the studio had specifically scheduled at the time that there was like a Tiny Tots dance class. So I'm pretty sure most of them were taking their kids to Tiny Tots dance class and then coming and taking their dance uh-huh. class simultaneously. And that was actually pretty decent. That was actually the closest I came. But what was hard was through that whole thing, it was... I was always the fattest person in class by far. Um, And quite honestly, one of like in the bottom quarter of like talent, because I hadn't danced in so long and like I just am not that flexible. And like there's certain positions that aren't comfortable in my body. And um, yeah, there's just certain, I just actually, so it was like I wasn't even like the fat person who was so good. Like, don't worry, I belong here because even though I'm fat, I'm amazing. I was like, no, I'm fat and I'm kind of mediocre and. I can't do half those things you're asking me to do because like my body doesn't go in that position. And then I feel like a weirdo that I have to sit out. And I was just like, it was like, I would just try and go anyway. Like I would just do all that internal work, like all that internal dialogue about I'm okay. I don't care what people think. Everything's okay. Just block that out. Just have a good, it was a massive amount of work and sometimes it worked and sometimes it didn't. And it was exhausting. And I really just wanted to be able to dance without having to do that much work. And I had this friend who was like, you should just teach a dance class. And of course I was like, 
but we already know I'm not that good. And like, what does that even mean to like teach a dance class? Like, who does that? Like, I don't have a, da- I don't have my bachelor's degree in dance, let alone anything, you know, like I haven't danced in 15 years. I go to these classes and I'm not that good. Like, what would that even mean to teach a dance class? And I really struggled, but also was like, keep trying to talk me into it. But no, 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 no. But keep trying to talk me (laughs) into it. And she did keep trying to talk me into it for a year until I finally did it. And once I started doing it, I actually loved going to those other dance classes because I was like, oh, well, I need to go do this reconnaissance mission. I need to like go out there and do some research and go to these like regular, you know, regular Uh dance classes. Uh, that feel scary and threatening that my fat community is never going to go to, but I'm going to go to go to it for them. I'm going to learn a bunch of things. I'm going to bring it back and I'm going to teach it to people in a safe environment. So I felt like really empowered, like I'm doing this for a bigger purpose. And I started body home and people really showed up and a lot of people had stories like mine. Like I danced when I was a, uh-huh. I was a kid, I really loved it until I was told I couldn't do that. And people were told that at different ages, uh-huh. some at puberty, some in their teens, some in their twenties, but a lot. And there was, there were tears and stories that I just really related to where people like, I really wanted to dance and I didn't get to. And so I don't think that my class is like technically amazing. You're not going to take it and learn to become a highly technical dancer. You're going to take it. You're going to move in your body. You're going to have fun. You're going to learn a little routine and have a good time doing it, which is a different goal than like working on technique. Um, But it's been really empowering. It's like the one space I go every week where I feel truly comfortable in my body. Well, that and rehearsal. So we have dance class one night and rehearsal two nights a week. So there are now three nights a week (laughs) that I have someplace I can go that I feel truly comfortable in my body and their dance spaces. How is that possible? Mm. Because that's what we created. And, you know, I always say it's like I, I created a structure, but I could not have created this community without the, I mean, I couldn't have created what, what's become with weighted bodies and with body home, except if it weren't for the community that showed up, like I can put all the good intentions into it, but it's the people showing up and creating this community together. Like if I just stood up in front of a bunch of people that were like skeptical or just, you know, it it wouldn't work. It's, it's people really showing up for each Mm -hmm. other and showing up for me. I hope that there are people who find this podcast and listen to it and feel like really thankful to have access to this information because I don't really want to like go to work and have these conversations and because right. people have asked me to and I'm like, no, I don't fucking want to. I'm not your teacher. But like right now, that's on offer, right? Like mm-hmm. you all are putting the effort in. I'm putting the effort in. And I'm like, yes, we will talk about ourselves and we will explore together and be vulnerable together. And that's amazing. And then inviting like an audience to listen in on that. So that they can learn, learn. as opposed yep. to mm-hmm. like, hey, I'm actually just trying to out, go out, live my life. I don't really want to teach you about my identity right now. And I try and do that in my own life. Like I want to understand more about people and cultures that aren't my daily experience mm-hmm. by like trying to consume media where like hopefully represents their identity so that I can learn more and not ask them to do the labor, like not ask my like. You know, let's be real. I don't want to ask my, like, black friend to be like, teach me about blackness. You know, like, that's your responsibility, right? Like, I want to learn. I'm a good person. So, like, I actually feel like it's important for me to listen to podcasts and read books and watch, like, TV programs that are, like, actually curated for me to learn about black culture so that that's how I can learn. And I I think that's, like, a really important thing that we all kind of should take some responsibility for. Right. I love that you said that just because I identify this way doesn't make me an educator. (laughs) 
Um, yeah. And we certainly yeah. are not educators. We've no. talked about it. Yeah. This isn't a podcast just for queer people to listen. Well, that's what I was going to say is that when I tell people in work or socially that we're putting this together and they ask me what it's about, I mean, I can't sit there and explain every conversation I've had with every person. I can't even sit there and explain the con- every conversation I've had with Mickey, but I can give a general description and they always say, I want to listen to that. I want to hear that. I think that people are going to walk away with a lot from today because fat liberation is something that we all need to hear about, Mm -hmm. not only because of our own little insecurities, but also because we do need to support each other and there's make space for everybody. Yeah. Fun fact, the entire world population would fit in the area of Texas. There's plenty of room for all of us. KT, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to stop by. I know your weekends are precious, especially our Sundays together dancing. Oh, I can't wait to dance with you tomorrow. Uh, uh, 3.30. Um, no, 3. 3. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be there. It's been really uh, great speaking with you, and uh, I'm so glad that you stopped by. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. As I had mentioned earlier, that was an amazing conversation. And one of the reasons why I feel so good about doing this podcast is having walked away from that conversation. What I want to do is just defer to you, Liz, right away and know what your takeaways are, because I know there was a lot of juicy information in there that you were so excited about after we had recorded. Katie said so many things so eloquently. It was just such a pleasure listening to her just explain her journey. It was so interesting listening to her discuss the overlap between queerness and fatness, and then just how she took the time to thoroughly talk about the questions we had or the topics that we were bringing into the conversation. I just found it so interesting and kind of exciting that Katie and I overlapped with our dance backgrounds and where we are today and just really enjoyed listening to how she got back into dance and you know I also felt during the conversation I felt a little bit raw on the topic you know some moments that maybe in other interviews maybe the topic isn't as hard-hitting to me personally uh, with some of our other guests I just want to thank her for taking that time like we, like we said in the intro, um, it was a three-hour conversation with her. And, you know, I think at times as well, when I listened back to the edited version, the version that our listeners just heard, there were times, even though I was in the conversation and I was part of the interview, part of the conversation, it was uncomfortable to listen to either my own biases, my own personal feelings, the topic itself. But I walked away just feeling more empowered with the knowledge that she shared to go through society the way we're learning about queerness on this podcast to learn about fatness you know it was new for me and I'm glad we had the conversation so I thank her for being so eloquent and being so forthcoming Um, I can tell you guys are great friends and you're lucky to have each other she's certainly someone I look forward to meeting the next time I visit Honestly, I feel the same way. I feel very thankful that to have had Katie on the show and her enlightened perspective on queerness and on the subject of fat liberation. 
it's funny that we dove right into this as our second episode, and I was questioning whether this should be our second episode, which is really our first guest outside of ourselves, because even though the question that we ask is, what does identifying as queer mean to you, or something to that effect, I knew that KT and I and you were going to get into the subject of fatness, of body, of all of this, just because of my relationship with her and just because I know her. I was afraid that the topic of fatness in relation to queerness might muddy the waters of what we're trying to do here, but it might also create a bridge of understanding right. for people that are not queer but are fat. I've heard people that do not identify as queer say that they relate to queer culture based solely on their fatness because they can kind of see more what it means. So in short, very thankful for KT and her perspective. And I'm glad that we used this as our second episode, even though I was a little doubtful that it might, as I said, muddied the waters of what queerness is. Um, is powerful. I was going to say powerful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it is powerful. And I do hope that people, many people take away the goodness from this. Right. Because it's about justice <laughs> to a highly marginalized group of people, which is many of us. And um, we treat ourselves badly based on our fatness. And it's not necessary when, especially if since other people treat us so badly and there's not always space for us or fairness to us. So I, I guess at the end of the day, everything that you said is kind of what I take away and there's not much more to add on to what Katie added to the conversation. Oh, she, this, yeah, she covered, she just covered the topic so beautifully. Yeah. I mean, I wish we could have played the whole three hours. Well, speaking of playing the whole three hours, we actually have created a bonus episode because we did bring her on to talk about how she identifies as being queer. And we did talk about that outside of body image and have some really great footage just on that topic alone that we are going to share with our audience. We harvested a little bit extra that we'll do a little bonus short episode for you soon based on further conversations that we had. We talked about a lot of queerness in the episode. Right. We talked about, like you said, a lot of fat liberation and just body issues in general. But there was more. So we cut a lot out, but we decided to harvest um, another bit. And we have a bonus episode in store for you. In the meantime, I'm going to just shout out her Instagram and her website for our listeners. Katie's website is called bodyhomefatdance.com and her Instagram is bodyhomefatdancepdx and you might see some pictures of Mickey. <laughs> you definitely will see pictures of Mickey. You definitely will see pictures of Mickey. You can also see pictures of Mickey and Liz on our Instagram, which is WTQ Podcast. And we also have a website, WTQPodcast.com. Currently, you can access our podcast through Google Play, Stitcher, soon to come iTunes. Don't get me started with iTunes, but they are giving us a hard time right now. Anyway. We'll be on iTunes yeah. soon once mm -hmm. they get their shit together. And Spotify, I think we're still pending, but soon. So Stitcher, Google Play, you can go to our website, WTQPodcast.com, and visit us on Instagram, WTQPodcast. And I guess that's it for our second episode. 
yeah uh thanks mickey i love you thanks liz love you too bye, bye.